Near the beginning of the story of the Bible, a man named Cain becomes jealous of his brother who's getting God's favor. And God tells Cain, be careful with your anger because sin is a monster that wants to consume you, but you can rule it. Cain gives in to the monster and murders his brother. And as a result, God sends Cain into the wilderness and there he builds the first city in the story of the Bible. One man builds an entire city. Well, in the ancient world, a city was a group of homes surrounded by a wall. It's for protection. Cain's afraid that someone might find him and kill him. Okay, got it. The wall makes the city. Exactly. And then the city of Cain goes on to breed a culture of revenge and violence. Later, one of the city's warriors, who's like a corrupt king, boasts in a song, if you threaten or slap me or wound my honor, I'll kill you. This is the mindset at work in Cain's city. The monster that Cain let within has now become the monster that people live within. The city is bad news. But it doesn't have to be. The city of Cain is also where music is invented, along with metalworking and animal domestication. So cities can be a place where we create abundance for everyone, but give the city enough time and that monster will eventually take over. Right, like the next city, founded by a giant warrior king who builds a city with a tower that reaches up into the heavens to make their name great. This is Babylon, which will one day spread its violence throughout the land, conquering many nations. Yes, Babylon is the biblical image of a monstrous, violent human city. And this is all tragic because the city is the opposite of the safe garden home that God originally put humans in. So ancient cities have imposing walls for self-protection to keep resources inside. But the garden is protected by God with a spring at its center that flows out into rivers that share its goodness with all the land. Babylon has a tower at its center to reach up to the heavens. While the garden has the tree of life at its center, God's heavenly throne and presence touching down on the land. The mindset of the city is self-preservation and peace enforced by the threat of death. But the culture of the garden is peace through generosity because there's always enough to go around. Let's go back to the garden. Yes, you would think so. But the surprise of the biblical story is that God plans to bring his garden to the city. Really? Yeah, let's look at King David, who God appointed to lead Israel. He chose for their capital city to be Jerusalem, the city of David, Mount Zion. Right, and when David brings the throne of God's presence up to Jerusalem, the city becomes an image of God's garden city. There's abundance for everybody and peace for a time. Right, until David becomes like Cain. He gives into that inner monster and murders one of his soldiers so he can take that man's wife. And so this begins the tragic story of Jerusalem's corruption through the kings from David's line. And while a few kings do try to stop the monster, most give in. And so the garden city becomes a den of robbers full of greed and violence and oppression. And eventually Babylon, an even bigger monster, takes them out. Maybe the garden city isn't realistic after all. But Israel's prophets maintained hope that God would one day create his heavenly city here on earth, with streams going out and the nations streaming in, gardens and feasts and peace and no more death. This sounds like more than just a new city. This sounds like the dawn of new creation. Yes, it totally does. And it's actually this hope that brings us to the story of Jesus. In Jesus' day, Jerusalem was ruled by a violent King Herod. 
And when Jesus began announcing that God's heavenly kingdom was arriving here on earth, he didn't even go to Jerusalem or its leaders. Yeah, he went to the hills and towns of Galilee, sharing good news with the poor and the unimportant. And then Jesus took his followers up onto a hill and said, you all are the city on the hill that will shine its light to the nations. And then he taught his followers the ethic of God's city, which is the opposite of the mindset of Cain's city and of Babylon. Instead of protecting life and keeping peace with the threat of violence, Jesus taught his followers to create peace by sharing generously, even with your enemies, and to preserve life through love and forgiveness, even if it costs you. This is what it looks like when the heavenly city comes to earth. But weren't the prophets expecting that God's new city would be Jerusalem? Well, Jesus said that the Jerusalem of his day was corrupt and headed for destruction, and this stirred up trouble with the leaders of the city. So to keep peace, they used the threat of death to get rid of Jesus. But when Jesus stood on trial, knowing that they were going to have him executed, he said he was about to be enthroned as king of God's heavenly city. Wait, you can't become king by letting your enemies kill you. Well, you can if you're stronger than death. In fact, this is the only way to transform the mindset of Cain City, to overcome the fear of death by trusting in the power of God's eternal life that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that streams out from Jesus into the world today. And so the earliest followers of Jesus called each other to seek the well-being of their cities while trusting that their true citizenship was elsewhere. You mean the New Jerusalem, the city of God? Yes. And when followers of Jesus gather and share together, they can begin to taste the life and love of that heavenly city right now in the present. And so the story of the Bible doesn't end with humans building a city up to heaven. No, it ends with God bringing his garden city down to the land. The heavenly Jerusalem, full of abundance for all the nations with the river of life flowing through its streets. And at its center is the crucified and risen Jesus on the throne. And the city walls will be decommissioned because the gates of this city will never be closed. Our mission at Bible Project is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're able to give away for free everything that we make because of generous people like you all around the world. You can see our entire video library, check out all of our resources, and join us at BibleProject.com. I thought that that would be an interesting theme video to share since today's topic is really about a specific town or city. Um, this is a neat time where we transition all of our meditation on music and on songs into the Christmas season. So we'll share a few Christmas ones over the next few weeks. Uh, today's uh, is A Little Town of Bethlehem, um, which without reading the lyrics real closely, I thought that it was a little bit just more of a thematic tone and feeling, but it actually has some really great lyrics. Um, and so today I really decided to use that as an opportunity to just help us set the place and the time of the birth of Jesus. Uh, so today's uh, time will be more of a Christmas devotion, not as much of a lesson or a sermon, um, but just a little bit about the hymn, uh, just to understand where it came from. Just after the Civil War ended in 1865, Reverend Phillips Brooks visited Bethlehem and spent Christmas Eve there. It was a few years later in 1868 that he wrote, O Little Town of Bethlehem. 
So Jeremiah expresses the pain of exile and destruction of Israel by comparing it to the loss of a child. The matriarch Rachel is the mother of Israel in these words, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. In this poetic prophecy, we see Rachel lamenting and grieving her lost children as they reaped the consequences of sin. Well, Rachel died just a few hours from the little Canaanite village in the hills south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Her grieving husband Jacob buried her there along the way. And Bethlehem, or house of bread, is where Ruth found refuge and redemption after losing everything, and where the patriarch Jesse founded his family. While David hid in the caves from his enemies, it was Bethlehem's well that his mighty men stealthily sought to refresh him with the water whose taste he remembered from childhood. John seven thirty seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Over time, Bethlehem would sometimes be referred to as the city of David. After the little village had spent at least 1,400 years atop the terraced hills and fertile valleys, a young couple neared the bottom of the road leading to Bethlehem after an exhausting five-day journey from the northern reaches of the captive kingdom. They climbed past the brushy fields with short stone watchtowers where shepherds guarded over their flocks. Herod's consuming role was extending here as well. These sheep weren't even raised to provide for Bethlehem's families, but to feed the needs of Jerusalem just a short journey north. These sheep were likely destined for the temple sacrifices. John 1, 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. With a start, Joseph realized that they almost certainly couldn't afford the typical sacrificial offering of a lamb and a pigeon when the baby Mary carried was finally born. He sighed and hung his head as he considered that the Son of God would only have two pigeons offered up on his behalf. Then he looked up and caught Mary smiling as she looked west. The sun was still strong, but the road was long and soft from the last spring rains. A dry breeze from the eastern desert promised summer's approach. As Mary dismounted to spare the donkey a steep turn, she saw a grove of pomegranate trees, freshly bloomed, their blood-red blossoms seeming to drip from the wide arms of the trees in the blaze of the afternoon. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Joseph breathed the tangy scent deeply. In just a short while, they would pass the tanner outside of the town, and it would be difficult to breathe at all. He glanced back down the hillside before moving on. Workers were tilling the soil around the olive trees and carefully pruning in preparation for the growing season. As the sun neared the horizon, they approached the town's gate. King Rehoboam had fortified the small town because of its strategic position. And now Joseph's extended family had a small house on the north side. So they traveled through the narrow streets as darkness fell. <coughs> Mary seemed to be in pain, 
and Joseph felt the urgency of settling inside for the night. He hoped his family's small home would have room for them somewhere sheltered away from the wind. But traveling with the donkey was slow, and other family members may have already filled the few rooms available. They stumbled through the dark as they smelled lamb boiling with a hint of cumin. They choked at the smoke drifting out the window, and Mary's stomach struck with a sharp pain. They had just a few dried figs remaining, and she reached for one as Joseph pulled on the donkey's rope and stopped. Please, Father, he prayed, let there be enough space for her. But there wasn't. After his cousin let them inside, he had stood in the main room upstairs to see mats covering every bit of floor space. His eyes lingered on the dough baking on the outside of a jar, its fire inside creating a delicious sense of welcome and comfort. In John 6, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But everyone looked at them with eyes slightly askew. It seemed they wouldn't accept the nature of Mary's pregnancy any easier than Joseph first did, and none of them offered to give up their space. So they climbed back down the stairs, into the small courtyard, and then into the enlarged cave that made up part of its side. So they would sleep where the animals slept on cold nights. Tonight, just a pair of goats and a few chickens sounded their annoyance at the intruders. At least his cousin was kind enough to lend them one clay lamp, throwing just enough light to find some space to lie down. John 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Joseph brought a small jar of water from the cistern to Mary, who drank it sleepily before lying down to what Joseph hoped would be a night of rest before facing tomorrow's challenges. They'd made the trip, and maybe, if the baby held out just a bit longer, they could be back in Nazareth, and Mary could give birth with her mother and sisters to care for her. Maybe, if the Lord was willing. Please be willing, he prayed, as he drifted to sleep. That night, Rachel's bones lay beneath the rocks and soil as the glory of God pierced the veil between worlds above and restored her children, once and for all time, providing the king of the line of David that was promised, the water of life, the bread of life, the tree of life, the light of life. So the Lamb of God entered the world in a sheep's food trough and began his preparation to become the final temple sacrifice. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above while mortals sleep the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. 
No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 